that's a benefit of longevity. If, if you hang in there long enough, I used to hear the older folks say, you'll understand it better by and by. Y'all don't know them old hymns, do you? You'll understand, they would sing those songs and say, you'll understand it better by and by. And I, now I know what they meant by that, that walking by faith, being a woman of faith, means that God doesn't, I won't say God doesn't owe you, you don't always require an explanation. What's up, everybody? If you are a college football fan like me, if you know a college football fan that's in your life, you need to go cop this shirt. New designs dropping all the time. It's the perfect gift with the holiday season coming around. If you don't have this thing, you're missing out. Great material, great fabric. I wear it all the time. Go get yours today. Welcome back to another episode of It Girls, where we share the stories of winning women. And today, I am so pumped because uh, we have someone really, really special on the show today. We have Dr. Pam Ross, correct? Yes. Dr. Pam Ross. Um, Dr. Pam Ross is someone who I had the absolute honor to um, listen to her preach at City Church in Chicago this summer. And after I heard her, I called Z and I said, Ajani, we need this woman on the podcast. And a few months later, we made it happen. So Pam, thank you for being on. It's my absolute pleasure. What serendipitous. I mean, (laughs) you just happened to be in Chicago. I just happen to be preaching there. That's not my that's not my church. So to, I just happen to be preaching there. And so this is what it led to. So I'm really thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Both of you ladies, I'm honored to meet you. We appreciate yeah, we're it, so Pam. excited. Pam, where and are so, you right now? I am in Munster, Indiana. I'm a Hoosier baby. Okay. Well, Pam, that's crazy. So I we told you a little bit about, about ourselves, but I play volleyball still at the University of Kentucky, and one of my teammates is from Munster, Indiana. What? Yeah. Isn't that you crazy? You gotta tell her I said hi, so. <laughs> I definitely will. Her name's Haley Melby. Her dad is uh, the assistant superintendent of the Munster, Indiana School District. Are you kidding? That is so interesting. Of all places, like usually when I tell people I'm from Munster, Indiana, they go, where? What? <laughs> Never heard of it. Sounds like cheese. What is what's happening? It's just a small little town literally next door to Illinois. So, you know, we're Bears fans and Bulls fans and all that. So, so we live. I live so close to Lake Michigan. I love it. And uh, in the summertime, you know, 20 minutes I can be on the lake. But then I get four seasons here. So it's a lovely place to live. I'm thankful for it. Oh. Yeah, for a second, I thought you were going to say Muncie, Indiana, and that's a whole different story. But Oh, that's a whole um, different story. Yeah, way downstate. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, Pam, <laughs> so we don't really know you all that well, and our audience probably doesn't either. So give us a little bit about your backstory and who you are from childhood all the way to now. Okay, super. I, well, I thought of, oh, childhood. Y'all know I'm old, right? So this is going to be a long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, stage is yours. <laughs> okay, so I was born and raised in San Diego, California. So I'm a Southern California girl and um, absolutely still love going back to San Diego. I go back to California once a year. 
my mother, my parents split, my mother moved to the Midwest and I've pretty much been a Midwestern person ever since then. I went to school at uh, two colleges. I went to Florida A&M University and then I went to University of South Florida in Tampa. So ended up in Florida, you know how school and work will send you places and met and married my college sweetheart. And then he ends up getting a job in Chicago. So we're back to the Midwest. Yeah, it just keeps calling me back. Every time I want to leave, it just keeps calling me back. So always I, does. It does. Always does. does. <laughs> so even though I was a science geek, I'm a science nerd. And I really thought that I would spend most of my life in a lab coat. Um, I ended up like, how do you study industrial engineering? But then you end up teaching the Bible. Like that's kind of, I know if you, if, I know it's a, Someone, I was on the phone with a, um, or on a call with a coaching client and she asked me about my background and I said, it's a little bit of a where's Waldo? Like where, how did you get from here all the way to here? But so I went to work for uh, the Girl Scout organization. This, this is what happened. I had got married, had three kids and then I was serving in my church and someone, there was a female executive in my church that saw me organize and run a vacation Bible school. And at the time I had my youngest one strapped on, like that's how young she was. She was a nursing baby strapped on. And so this lady was like, we need her. We need her in Girl Scouts. So I went from, from there being home because I left work and was home with my kids. I was blessed enough to be able to stay home, raise my, be with my three girls. Was recruited by Girl Scouts, went to work for them, won national awards, loved it. And that's where I caught the volunteer bug. What's up, sports fans? It's former NFL wide receiver Stevie Johnson. The wait is finally over. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is now live in Kentucky. And new customers can get in on the action when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Mercury. Finally, you can bet on your favorite sports from the money line to point spreads to player props and more. This means you'll be able to place all kinds of bets, even live bets. Say you just have a feeling your favorite wide receiver in college football is going to get loose in the final minutes. Go ahead and live bet for him to score on the next drive. I promise you won't regret it. So start betting now on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Visit FanDuel.com slash Mercury and make every moment more. Must be 21 and up in President Kentucky. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. That's where I began to see an organization that is 99 to 1 when it comes to volunteers to staff and to see the influence of people who work for passion and work for vision rather than work for money. And even now when I work for, when I consult and train with folks that have businesses where they actually pay folks, it's good to pay your people. But if you can pay your people a fair wage where money is not the issue, then you don't have to drive them with threats. You know, now you can drive people with vision. So that's where I got that bug of leading people with heart and with vision, working for Girl Scouts. And then I was recruited, um, really just kind of recruited to work for my church. <laughs> I was a member of a church. I was loving it. I was serving in 
kids ministry because kids just kind of became my jam. And so I'm serving with kids. I was the Pied Piper. I'm having a blast right here. <laughs> just teaching kids God good, devil bad, making up songs. <laughs> I mean, teaching kids to pray, teaching kids about supernatural power and how to be teaching kids how to show the love of God and not be religious and spooky, you know? I was just having a blast. And then one day I saw this um, advertisement in my church that said that, that my church was looking for someone who was had a great admin, had administration, communication, team building. Basically, it's like read all the ingredients inside of me. And a friend sitting next to me said her name is Roxanne. She was a rocker. Like she had like spiky hair back in the 90s. <laughs> Spiky, spiky blonde hair. And she looked at me. She said, girl, they sound like they're talking, asking for you. <laughs> I was like, I know. But I didn't. I knew that I was going to leave Girl Scouts, but I thought I would be a consultant and work for myself. But I went on this journey. And so 15 years working at a church, we went from 1,500 people to 15,000 people. And I feel like God used that one place to teach me so. I know it's mind-blowing. It was mind blowing what, what we were able to make happen there. And I learned everything in that place. And it was not easy for me because I was the first person hired there who looked like me. And I, you know, since then I've been the first and only in a lot of rooms and I counted an honor, but back then I did not see it as an honor. I saw it as a tremendous burden. And I just felt like I didn't ask to be Rosa Parks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we honor all these people that are the first that are the first you know but do you know how challenging and hard it is to be the first and you just feel like you have to combat every stereotype it was such a challenge and the lord just had to teach me to relax just be who you is be who you are pam you know and, and I, I learned how to focus on the focus. I learned how to let the Lord give you your report card. I learned to stop auditioning for a position you already have. I mean, when I say I learned so many lessons working in that space. And then I, I just hit a glass ceiling. There was nothing else for me to do. And when it was time for me to go, I left. I believe I bowed out graciously. I let my leader know first so he couldn't catch wind of any rumors. By the time some and somebody else tried to spread it like a rumor, like they were saying, did you hear Pam is leaving? He said, yes, I know. She told me months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, snatch now there. <laughs> so worked there, left there, went to work for a church that was in the course of multiplying. And I had built a relationship with those leaders. Uh, I was a resource to them. And by that, I mean, I was someone who was just invited into their spaces to be a resource to them. And so I went to work. They offered me a job. I said, sure, I'll come. And they were in the course of multiplying. They went from one to three to 10 to 20 very quickly. So I got to learn how to sustain a thing while it's multiplying. And uh, then I went to a church plant. That same organization launched a church planting um, or a company or not-for-profit. And so I was there with them building that. And that's where I became the culturalist. <laughs> that's where that label came, like Pam Ross. And there we got there. Yeah, Pam Ross is the culturalist. She's the one that teaches how to sustain a kingdom culture all over the country. So you, we would have kingdom standards in Kentucky, kingdom standards in Louisiana, kingdom standards in California, 
Same standard, just add some avocado on the plate. Texas, just slap that Texas Pete on there. Keep it kingdom. But how to make it appetizing for people in your region, you know? Serve the people in front of you. And so worked for them. And then, woo, ladies, 2022? What is this, 23? So 2022, um, my plan was to work for myself. When I'm 60, I'll be 60 next year. Wow. So my plan was to work for myself when I'm 60. My whole team, we had a hashtag called hashtag QMJ2024, hashtag quit my job 2024. And so <laughs> I was out. It was stuff, right? Yeah. And so that was a plan to do it in 2024. And then in 2020, everything started shifting and moving and God made it very, very clear. You're about to leave. And so left, launched out. And now I've been working for myself Still eating. You see, I ain't lost a pound. Still eating. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe if I'm broke, I'll thin out a little bit. No, mm-mm. the Lord is faithful. <laughs> the Lord is faithful. <laughs> the Lord is faithful. You still got to get on this treadmill, right? <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> yeah, you're like, mm, at least if, if I go broke, maybe I'll be a little slimmer. No, no. <laughs> not let me go broke. I'm still here, still alive. Still doing what I do. And I absolutely love it. And my mentor says to me, Pam, you're for everybody. And it was, you took amount of security working for somebody, but all the while knowing you're for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you just had to, by faith, make yourself available to everybody. And so that's that's what I've done. And that's my story. <laughs> oh, that was so good, Pam. And I'm so glad that you actually went through and, you know, sometimes when we ask people for their backgrounds, they get a little anxious and they don't really know like what yeah. to add, what to leave out. But like the whole point of sharing your story is there's so many intricate details and, yeah. you know, God is faithful and he, he puts is. puzzle pieces together that in the moment they don't make sense. But when you're 60, almost 60, not 60 yeah. yet, yeah, you look back and the, they make sense, you know? It does. That's the benefit. That's the benefit of longevity. If, if you hang in there long enough, I used to hear the older folks say, you'll understand it better by and by. Y'all don't know them old hymns, do you? You'll understand, oh. they would sing those songs and say, you'll understand it better by and by. And I, now I know what they meant by that, that walking by faith, being a woman of faith, means that God doesn't, I won't say God doesn't owe you, you don't always require an explanation. Mm. You just have to follow. And then when you get, your story will be the explanation. And if you follow him long enough, not only will it be the explanation for you, it'll be the inspiration for somebody else to follow. So yeah, it it, it so took good. some turns. I would have never expected, but. Yeah, yeah, Pam, yeah, I wanna I wanna talk about one part um, in particular that you shared at, um, City Church, City yeah, Church, Chicago, yeah. right? That's what it's called. Um, so Ken is a pastor at City Church, yeah. and he shared that he hired you, correct? He did. At your first church, and or the first church you worked at, I'm pretty sure. And something you said that I wrote down, and I told Z that first phone call, is you said that it takes a lot of courage to hire someone that doesn't look like you, yep. because if they don't look like you and you're better than them, people may follow that person rather than yourself. And it caught me so off guard because I had, 
obviously I'm, I'm not black, but I am a woman. So I still, um, I'm, and I work in, in finance. So yeah, <laughs> with a lot yeah. of men, um, and it caught, it really made me think about that perspective of courage. So just, just talk about that experience and, um, what it's been like being the first and only a lot of, yeah. a lot of girls in your life. Well, you know, Kent, Kent Muncy is an, an amazing guy and I'm so happy that we're still friends. I'm so happy that he and Allie are still connected and a part of my life. And I was 37 and I think Kent was probably 24 or 22, somewhere in there. And he was fresh out of Bible college and had a tremendous amount of responsibility. And so when I was in my church and my friend Roxanne said, girl, they sound like they're talking about you, right? I said, these people aren't going to hire me because at the time the church was very diverse, but the staff was not. And so I made some assumptions based on what I saw. And so I think I was somebody, either Roxanne or my husband convinced me, just give them your resume. I said, sure. Gave them my resume. And the very next day, gave them my resume on a Sunday, on a Saturday. I was there for rehearsal for something with my kids. And the very next day, um, I was in church, attending church in the balcony. And someone came and found me. Not a phone call, not an email. Yeah. And came and said, hey, can you uh, come in tomorrow for an interview? I was like, lady, I'm trying to worship God. What are you doing? <laughs> what? Yeah. Like, can you come in tomorrow for an interview? Now, now looking back, it should have been, wow, these people are excited to meet me. That's what it should have indicated. But to me, I was just like, what is going on here? So when I get there to the interview, the setup was the setup, every sign from my perspective was no, no, no. So I get there. I'm in my Girl Scout uniform because I fully do not expect them to give me a job. And I had a training that night. I'm not changing clothes for these people. They're not hiring me anyway. And so that was my, was my perspective. I get there. Kent says to me, um, I lost your resume. I said, no problem. Because what, what am I thinking? You keep the resume of the people you want to hire. So right. I'm like, no, no totally. problem. So I said to him, it's just nice meeting you. Tell me about yourself. So he starts talking. We end up having a conversation just like this. Yeah. He said, tell me about yourself. Why do you love working at Scouts? Tell me about your children. I mean, we're just having a blast. So then I'm telling him about the, the work that I do for Girl Scouts, training volunteers, building teams, developing um, leaders. And I said, well, it's been great meeting you. 15 minutes. That's as long as it was. I said, it's been great meeting you. And I stood up to go. I went to shake his hand. And he said, well, let's see if we can get you back to make an offer. I was just like, make an offer. <laughs> we hadn't even talked about the position. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we had talked about, you know, right. this office manager thing and what would it be. I'm like, man, I'm a whole executive. I won national awards. I'm trying to manage your office for you. <laughs> I'm just here to obey God. <laughs> right? I'm just trying to obey God. God told me to submit the resume. You invited me. I thought I'm going to come and meet this young man. I really admired him. I thought he was a great leader. I thought he had his head on straight. And the fact that he was willing, we are so opposite. We are of two different generations, male and female, white and black. I'm, he is very introverted. I'm very, I'm 98% extroverted. And I guarantee you he's probably, yeah. I keep taking the test over and thinking it's going to change with age. Mm -mm, no. <laughs> I have 
was like, I have preached for an hour, worked an altar for an hour, signed books for an hour. And people say, isn't she tired? Oh, no, as long as there's people in line, she'll just keep meeting people. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like, it's like at 60, you're going to be 99%. So he's the, I'm the exact opposite of him. And I do believe it takes courage to look at someone who's nothing like you and say, I want to bring this people, not just on my team, but I'm going to bring these people on my stage mm. in front of a crowd that was just learning to love him because he was new back from, from Bible college. And to present someone who's very different than you, you risk the fact you risk. It's risky if you're an ego driven leader. Mm. And if someone likes them, like, what if there's people that like the fact that she's a lady? I can't compete with that. I'm a man. What if there's people that kind of like that she's extroverted and she's always in the lobby and hugging people's kids? He's not going to be doing that. And so it, it's yeah. even though we talk a good talk when it comes to diversity, one of the things that keeps us from fully embracing differences beyond ethnicity and nationality, but differences in backgrounds and personalities and and energy levels, it's that we are afraid of, but I thought I'm the fit here, you know? And so mm -hmm. I really wanted to commend him to say, hey, it takes a lot of courage to bring someone into your space, your stage, your team, and make an introduction of someone who's very different. But I think those differences paid off for us in gold because we saw the world completely different. We Our, our stories were different our backgrounds, economically, everything was different. And so I could bring to him a sense of reality and he could bring to me a sense of risk. Hmm. And it worked. It worked That's well. so oh, good. Yeah. That is That's so really cool. Good. Pam, I, uh, I was talking to a guy I work with um, who's from Pakistan mm -hmm. and he's one of these guys that just knows everything. Like he's yes. just like a walking <laughs> encyclopedia and of just wealth of knowledge and, um, you know, one time I made a comment of like, you know, I'm just not that diverse. And he said something that stuck with me. So for so, like, it will always stick with me. He's like, your story is diverse. You're because, so yes. I grew up in like a really small town in Wisconsin. My family's like lives on top of each other. And, you know, I, I didn't grow up with, a, you know, a lot of ethnicity from the outside, but like the way mm -hmm. I was raised was different. And so he just made the point of like, because I like he's from Pakistan and he, I'm learning about his culture and then he hears about my my upbringing and it's just completely different. Yeah. Um, I, thought, I thought it was a cool perspective. Um, something I think about too. Yeah, your your story is what makes you different, and and we know. I mean, it, it's huge in middle school, but I don't know if it ever really goes away. That desire to just fit in. I, I want to wear what everybody's wearing. I want to do what everybody's doing. I don't want to stand out. I just want to fit in um, because we feel like fitting in is safe. But you can't have the fullness of who you are and cling to safety at the same time. And so that to be willing to just lean into what's different about you and embrace what's different about others. That's really what makes people attractive. Mm -hmm. Is there... Like, wow, you're, you're different from me. What's your story? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So good. Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah. And I think this is a cool segue because in the same way that people are diverse in the way they look and how we're made, female and male and all these things, people are diverse in the way they process things and their emotions. Yes. And one thing that you said is it's not about what you say. It's about how they took it. Yeah. And you talk to such a multiple 
diverse group of different people. And how do you filter kind of how people take things when you're talking to so many different kind of people? Yeah, I think one of the things that helps me is I have a healthy curiosity about people. I probably should have studied psychology um, and understanding like various personality types, how people think, what their fears are, and even like what their desires are. And so when I am, I think that statement came from me talking about correct correction. You can give someone correction in a way that from you is very loving. But if they take it the wrong way, you're going to wonder what's, what's wrong with it. It's going to create static or a disconnect. I often say if you go to the doctor, you have a sore throat, he tells you, he gives you some a prescription for a cough syrup and you pour the cough syrup in your ear. It doesn't mean that you got a bad doctor. It means that you took the medicine the wrong way. And so correction is like good medicine. It should, it should bring, uh, it should regulate the thing in you that's off. So if you've got a leader and you, if you are a leader and you're giving someone correction and they're taking it wrong, you got to discuss why did they hear me wrong? Why did, why did they not take that the right way? Is it, it could it, it could be how you said it, but a, most of the time it's what they heard. It's how they took it. And it has to do with whatever is in their background, whatever trauma, whatever leadership stories they've encountered. Um, we've all met people that don't trust us because of something somebody else did. That's, that's what I mean by it's not always how what you say, it's how they take it. And so it's not to put leaders in a, uh, to constrain leaders so that you're super concerned about how someone's going to take it. But it is to make leaders aware that sometimes your words do not translate and you've got to, you've got to give them the medicine again, help them take it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting because I feel like in leadership positions I've been in, it's always been like, Oh, you can't listen to how they said it. You have to listen to what they said. And mm -hmm. this kind of changes Absolutely. Puts the focus back on the person saying it and not the person receiving it. And that's different than anything I've heard before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you know what? If let's say you are, you have a sensitivity to anger. Maybe you grew up with an angry parent. Maybe you had some angry coaches in your sporting career. And you just like, I've had it with that. I don't want to deal with that. And then you come to work with me. We're teamed up. We're going to do something. And I'm so angry. If I know that about you, then, and if my real motive is to bring a healthy correction to you, it's not about, I got to let Z know what's how I feel. Or is it really about, hey, she's doing this. I need her to shift and do that. What is the best way for me to communicate this so that she can take it and she can get the correction she needs? So it's about you. It's about the team. It's about our goals that we're, that we're accomplishing. And I, I recognize it's an individualistic way of leading, but it works if you can work it. Absolutely. Absolutely, mm -hmm. Pam. We, uh, one, there was one year where our volleyball team was really struggling to communicate, just yeah. point blank period. We couldn't figure out how one person was speaking and the other was perceiving it. So we, this <laughs> is a tough conversation, but we sat in a circle and yes. everyone went around and they just verbalized, I don't take yelling well, or I take yelling well, or I want to be held accountable, or I don't, or so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there, it was a tough conversation. And like sometimes it was like, 
all right, she wants to hear it this way or this way, <laughs> trying to figure yeah, it out. But, yeah. You know, it, it, it does help. It goes, it goes, can go a really long way if you invest in it as well. And then also when you communicate, if you're the person sending the information, you're the leader that feels like I got to holler, then <laughs> your people need to know what your motive is for hollering. Mm. To say, listen, when I say this, I'm not trying to beat you down. I'm trying to rev you up. So when you hear it, then they're maturing enough to say, she's trying to rev us up. And you're no, and here's the real key. No one's trying to control the other person. You're not, I'm not trying to set you to my dial to say, I, I know you want to say it this way, but say it that way because that's how I take it. That's, we're not trying to change our leaders. We're trying to understand them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hits hits home for me and Z, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we were always the rev it up kind of uh, leader, so <laughs> we maybe could have verbalized that better at times. But, <laughs> say, Here's um, my motive for doing this. This is why I say it. This is why I do what I do. And a lot of times we just assume people know. Like, what are they upset about? Of course she knows that's what I meant. Yeah, so true. And, yeah. So true. Pam, uh, I want you to explain your consulting career now. I, yeah. I, I've, I think I'm understanding it and I think, um, but consulting can obviously mean a lot of different things. Yeah. So kind of explain like what it is that you do and like, who are the kind of people that you work with or organizations, I should say. Absolutely. So I, I am uh, consulting and training uh, the company's called inspire training and consulting. And so a typical weekend with me live would look like this. I come in on a Friday, I'm sitting down with a visionary, either just that visionary or that visionary and their key team, the people that really kind of help them carry the burden. So I spend some time looking at them. Where do we want to go? What are the pain points, et cetera? Then the next day I may spend an entire day with all of their volunteers or with specific teams that are going to carry this vision, the thing that we just strategized out. And lately what's been happening is a Sunday, they'll say, can you stay for Sunday morning? So I end up, if it's a church, I'll stay for Sunday morning. And now I'm going to preach faith along that same line of what we strategized over, what we trained into, and now we're preaching faith for it. So that's what a live experience with me kind of looks and feels like. Um, I do a lot of this electronic communication on my, on my laptop. I'm having conversations with visionaries, leaders, team builders, how do I get my team to work together, focus on the focus, make things happen? What should be happening? Like, what? I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing, Pam. Like, that's what a lot of leaders I know what God has said. I don't even know how to get started, you know? <laughs> then, <laughs> I don't even know how Fair to get enough. started. Yeah, and then as an executive coach, I speak to young executives, mostly all women, young executives who are for the first time responsible for an entire department, responsible for an entire team, or on a team that, man, maybe they don't speak the language of the other folks in this room and just need a coach to bounce some ideas off of and just help you navigate new territory. So I do that. And then podcasting, writing, you know, these do what we do. <laughs> Jack of all trades, huh? 
What's up, sports fans? It's former NFL wide receiver Stevie Johnson. The wait is finally over. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is now live in Kentucky. And new customers can get in on the action when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Mercury. Finally, you can bet on your favorite sports, from the money line to point spreads to player props and more. This means you'll be able to place all kinds of bets, even live bets. Say you just have a feeling your favorite wide receiver in college football is going to get loose in the final minutes. Go ahead and live bet for him to score on the next drive. I promise you won't regret it. So start betting now on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Visit FanDuel.com slash Mercury and make every moment more. Must be 21 and up in President Kentucky. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. What'd you say? I said you're a jack of all trades. I'm a, well, you know what I do? I think mainly what I do is the culturalist. I think yeah. it's the, it's just the multi, multiple expressions of being the culturalist. How to build a culture, and a culture is like a a greenhouse environment. How to build that environment where your vision is going to thrive. And the people attracted to your vision are going to come to that. They're going to come to that thing. Yeah. So I do it, you know, so I'll do that. And even the personal development piece is bringing people up to the vision. So I I think it's mainly, I think it's mainly culture, but (laughs) it's manifested in various ways. Yeah. I I love love that greenhouse analogy. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. That like you're, the thing that you have has to grow in a particular environment. And if this is who, a lot of times I'll ask specifically executive teams, if this is what you're called to be or called to do, this is what you're called to do, then who do you have to be? And even mm. your team, if this is, this is what we're, if this is what we're trying to do, then what do we have to be? And then how can we develop that in our people so they get the benefit of coming to attach to your vision? Because I came to help you, I learned to be patient. I learned to be strong. I learned to be strategic. I learned to organize. I learned to communicate. I never would have had to be a public speaker if I hadn't come and connected to this organization, you know? So people get the benefit of walking with you. I love to... Think about when Jesus told Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And I ask leaders, who's being made? And what are they being made into? Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she has so a, oh, sorry. I was going to tell her about your hat. No, go ahead. Oh, she, yeah, has a hat that says, she has a hat that says fishers of men that she wears all the time. Oh, I love Isn't it. Isn't that good? That's a cool hat, yeah. It's like a bass. It's like a Bass Pro Shop hat, so it looks yeah. like it could be Bass Pro Shop, but it doesn't say Bass Pro yeah. Shop, obviously. It's a really cool hat, yeah. Um, well, so I'm interested in just kind of figuring out, like, you obviously are a woman of faith, and you believe in all these things, but you work in sometimes these secular arenas where there are not people that believe the same thing as you, and they're not driven by faith and driven by these things. What is the balance, or is there a balance for you in I'm sharing with these people the truth and what I believe, and I'm also trying to encourage them in a way that's not yeah what they believe also yeah it's a it's an interesting balance because it's more of a strategy i think when people ask someone like me to take a look at their business or their organization 
And maybe they're not um, an overtly faith-based organization, but they just need, hey, I need my company to make money. I need my team to um, get with this vision. I'm going to give them the same strategies that Jesus used in the Bible. I'm going to give them the same strategies that I would if they were faith-based, but maybe I'm not going to give them scripture. I'm going to find, I want to find the thing that's important to them. What is it that they need? How are they trying to get it? And then help those people. One of the things I often tell the Lord, my ideal life, and I have a whole little list of things, very simple, but one of them is I just want to honestly serve my clients. And so if your desire is, hey, I need to raise my bottom line, let's look at why you're not making money. Let's look at how you can and who do you need. But when it comes to things like we're not going to cut corners, we're not going to lie, we're not going to mistreat people, we're not going to, we don't have to use unrighteous means in order to get what you want. So I'm not going to ever coach anybody that way. Um, even if I have an executive coach or, or an executive coaching client and they're trying to navigate through maybe some politics and, you know, work can be a little messy. I'm never going to tell them how to manipulate, but I will tell them, hey, if you're going to go in and make this presentation, if these people value youth and beauty, look great. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, that's not manipulation. That's getting their attention, right? Right. I am going to tell them, hey, if this guy is a family man, learn the, learn the name of his wife and children. Hey, if these guys are playing golf, get you a bag, show up on the greens. <laughs> Right. So I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to. So I'm never going to tell you to lie, manipulate, but we do know how to be savvy. And so I'm going to give them some give them advice, counsel. They're going to get the benefit of my experience where I've been and what I've done and what I know. But um, I am absolutely they know because people know who I am and what I believe before I get there. Um, and of course, like if I'm speaking at a school or something like that, I can't use necessarily Bible stories or scripture. You know, if, if those right. are the parameters, then I'm going to use quotes and stories from Christians because honestly, the Bible is for believers. And but your story is for unbelievers. What the mm -hmm. Bible has done to you is the is for unbelievers. And that's what's going to lead them to the Bible. So I would use this story of believers who've done amazing things and maybe even people that are generally respected in their arena. I'll use their quotes, find that common ground first and then build from there. Absolutely. That's good, Pam. Z, good question too. Yeah, um, it is. Just navigating, is. having your Christian principles while you navigate the world. But, you know, Christian principles are given to you to navigate the world. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's what, that's what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's nearly impossible to separate the two. Once you, once you are a Christian and once you right. have decided that Jesus is your Lord and savior, it's really hard to not see life through a lens of Jesus. Yes. You know, it's, it's, you can't take the Jesus loving hat off. It's not, yeah. it's stuck on there. So, um, that's, that's really beautiful, Pam. And I, I love how you've been able to just merge the two and find mm -hmm. something that you really love. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Pam, so question I have for you. I feel like, uh, you're, you're down to get deep. I can just, I can oh, feel Lord. it in you. <laughs> no, um, 
you know, every successful um, professional um, probably has an event they look back on and they were like, had that not happened to me, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, when you look back at your life, what's something that um, that you went through that you are grateful for or you just you just know that had God not put you through that valley, you probably wouldn't be at the mountaintop? What, what's something wow. you look back on? Ooh, that is a good question. It's a deep question. And I, think I know. Probably, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's good. It makes it makes the conversation richer. I think for me, wow. Hmm. There's a couple of things. There's a couple Take it of you things. Want, girl. <laughs> um, one of them is I went through a divorce, which was extremely painful. And I married my college sweetheart. I wanted to stay married. Like I just was, I would, I would do anything. I just wanted to stay married. Right. I, and so in my prayer, the Lord had given me to fast. So I said, mm-hmm. all right, I'm going to fast a day. Then ended up fasting seven and then 21 and then 40. Oh, I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah. No. And Have yeah. you fasted before? Yes. I had not. Okay. I had only fasted like maybe a day, maybe a half day, but in the, in the fight for this marriage, I developed this, this fasting gut, like this fasting heart. And I mean, I have a love affair with food. I'm single now. Food is my boyfriend. Popcorn is my boyfriend, right? So (laughs) absolutely. Popcorn is my boyfriend. And so I look back on that. And I learned, I learned to deny my flesh. I learned to cry out to God. I learned to hear his voice. I learned to submit to his will through the darkest heartache that I didn't think I deserved, you know? And I just felt like, but God, I work for, and then think about it. I'm working at a mega church. And the position that I was in was very public. So if you're in a public position, everything you go through is public. And people are people. People are going to have opinions and, you know, yeah. and, and so to continue to keep your focus, walk in love, still love God, raise your children, all while working in God's house, feeling like, God, I would think that because I work for you, you would guard me from this type of heartache. No, seriously, we have our expectations. <laughs> so right. I felt like, like I had a little one. picket sign. Oh, yeah, I had a little picket sign that said Jehovah unfair to workers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you are doing me right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Sat with him. Like. <laughs> <laughs> There's some things you feel like because I, I mean, I'm not, I would say it's not, I serve you every day. Like my, my vocation is you. How am I walking through this? But many times it's not, we don't get out of something because we serve the Lord. Honey, sometimes you get into stuff because you serve the Lord. (laughs) But I learned so much. Um, I just learned so much during that time. And whenever I feel like I'm too weak, you know, and we all do, you have those days where you feel like I can't do this. You know, you feel like you're too weak. I remember the strength of those days 
I remember getting up and getting showered and getting dressed and show up and do right because it's right. You know, serve, do your job, get your reports in, do right because it's right. And that that work ethic has served me when I was no longer at that place and maybe was with other people that weren't doing what I thought they should do. But I just felt like don't 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 cheat cheat your boss work the whole time you're at work um stay out of mess do what you're here to do be a blessing you're blessed to be a blessing like all those things but i think those things were planted deeply in me during that valley season yeah mm-hmm. and so kind of staying on on this track a little I think Maddie might know the story a little bit better than I do, but there's a story of you and your like miracle conception of your first daughter and you coming to Jesus. Share a little bit about that. Also, I'm curious to know if that might've been one of the other things you were going to say earlier. Yeah. Well, you know, that it's interesting because I was married five years before I had a baby. And even in college, I'd had some health situations and was told it's very unlikely that you will conceive. And if you conceive, you have what we call an incompetent cervix where it doesn't come together to hold a baby. So when the baby gets to a certain size, you may have heard of women that have suffered from this. The baby gets to a certain size, you have to go to bed rest or you'll miscarry and all of that. So yeah, so because you're, you just can't hold. So um, so I, we were not saved. I got married. I got saved after I got married. So we were high school, college kids, got married and, um, got married at 23. And yeah, I mean, a baby, right? Got married at 23. And then, um, I had had a, my salvation story is I'd had a dream that I was, um, in a car and the window shattered and I was shot in the neck and it was blood everywhere and I was dying this horrible nightmare. And so we were in Miami, Florida, my husband and I driving. He was driving. I'm in the back seat. He goes under a viaduct. Now a viaduct is like a, it's like almost like going through a little, a small tunnel. And um, so we're going through and the window shatters. Exactly like my dream. No, I started scratching at my neck, screaming, I'm shot, I'm shot. <gasps> Because I'm thinking, this is it. I'm shot. And so, um, of course, I was not. But there's glass everywhere. We still don't know what shattered that window. And in that moment, if you've ever been sleeping deeply and your alarm is going off, and that moment as you're coming out of sleep, but you can't, you're not quite, you hear the alarm, but you're still sleeping. That's what I felt was going on in my spirit like an alarm went off that I couldn't reach to say, if you had died in that moment, you'd be in hell. Cause I knew who Jesus was, but I wasn't serving him. I was doing whatever I wanted to do. So I just had this alarm going off in me and we were in Miami for a family event and we went to a restaurant, good old soul food restaurant. And as we were leaving the restaurant, we were in the parking lot and my husband's aunt was full of the Holy ghost looked at me and said, you want to get saved, don't you? (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Just like that. (laughs) Now, this had to happen like 30 some years ago, but I'm crying all over again. Can you imagine the the boldness of her? We're looking good. We're young. 
I mean, we looking like the rich young ruler. We're young. We got money. I was, I married a six figure guy. Like she doesn't look like she needs anything. And she looked right at me and said, you want to get saved, don't you? I lifted my hands. I said, yes, we're in the parking lot of this restaurant. It's Father's Day, Miami, Florida. It's like 300 degrees outside. This lady got ready. She prayed for me, laid hands on me. Out I went. I just went out under the Holy Ghost. Then she began to say, and this thing going on with your reproductive system, the Lord says, I'm healing you right now. The, I mean, isn't that crazy? So Chills. The, <laughs> so the Lord healed me. I really do believe the Lord healed me to be able to conceive. So we conceived after that and I miscarried and I was so disappointed. But my faith, I still held on to that word. God, you said you healed me. We're going to keep trying. Tried again, got pregnant again, had no problems whatsoever. And so my that baby is 30 years old now. <laughs> Holy man. Which means faith. And yeah, so yeah, that's how the Lord swooped me into his kingdom. And I'm so thankful. So, so, yeah. so, so thankful. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. He didn't so, want you to, he, the Lord did not want you to have a slow entrance. He wanted you to have a, a wild entrance. <laughs> yes. Microwave. I would have thought as a believer, I would have thought that nightmare was from the devil. It was from the Lord. Right. It had to be. Yes. That thing happening with the window. I was like, oh no, life is too. (laughs) I think it just gave me a a reminder that life is quick. And so I just knew I've got to like, and it wasn't a matter of, I need to get saved. So I won't go to hell. It was a, what am I doing? You know, it was it was not a who. Okay, now I got fire insurance, as they say. Now, if the when if the if the bullet does come through my neck, I'll be in heaven. No, it was more of a my God, life could be over in any moment. What have you done? You're not doing anything. You just live it. You know what are you doing? Yeah. Well, and then Pam, what's what's such a blessing too is that you came to know Jesus before you had your girls too. Yes. So that you yes. could raise them um in I faith want, in I the church. Want, yes. 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 Wow. I didn't even want to raise no children without the Lord. I can imagine. <laughs> <Whew>. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um tell us about motherhood now. I think that you 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 just light you light yeah. up when you talk about your girls. So I tell do. us about um you know, a lot of the professionals we have on here are mothers, but they yeah. also are professionals. And so yeah. trying to juggle the two and the scale can never be perfect. So no. what did that look like for you? It looks so it looks so much fun. My children, um, any working mom guilt I had, my children have helped me get over it. Um, because when you work in the not for profit world, you work some weekends, you work some nights, you know, And so, but my children were always blessed. When I worked for Girl Scouts, they could come along with me. They were Scouts. They could get all the benefits and fun of mom working there. Uh, When I worked for my church, which is, which was the longer stint, like 15 years, um, I would bring my kids with me. I would, they actually learned a lot of their leadership, a lot of their courage um, by serving in the church. And even discovering their own place where they want to, hey, they're interested in this or interested in that. My daughter works as a stage manager of various theaters here in Chicago. And she really got that bug for performing arts from serving in church. 
It was a performing arts church. She ended up being the props manager. I mean, in high school, telling grownups, <laughs> had a whole team of adults and you're in high school, you know? So I think the balance for me was I was I was really blessed to be able to bring them along when I could. In fact, when I took that job at Girl Scouts, I was a nursing mom and they put a playpen in my cubicle. So I said, because I said, I can't in that. I know, but now that's a women's organization. Isn't that crazy? That is, that's crazy. I would lay her, she would play, I would work. I would nurse, be nursing my baby in my cubicle. Because <laughs> it's all women in the room. I can't imagine. You just walk no. by, there's Pam. <laughs> Move out, just nursing the baby. <laughs> that's awesome. Ever, it's supportive. I love it. Yeah, that's a, that's an all women's organization. It's all ladies in the office. But so the and so a part of that balance was we did have some busy seasons when I would travel or I would, just wouldn't be home. Now, hilariously, because my children are accustomed to my humor and they have my humor, I would put my picture on the fridge. You are not a Disney princess. You have a mother. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's Easter season. You're work. You're at the office. You're working. Yeah. You're planning. You got this team meeting, that team meeting, and so there's like a little picture of me. You're not a Disney princess. You do have a mother, and so <laughs> I love it. That's and, so and funny. Then, like on Wednesdays, we had very long days, and so I had a house account with a local pizza place. I knew the owners, and so Wednesday mornings, if I wasn't able to make dinner. Then what I would do is I would tell them Aurelio's is on the way. So I would call Aurelio's, have them deliver the pizza and salads or whatever. And I just felt so guilty. Like, I can't believe some strangers bringing my kid, you know, food to the door, you know, and I'm not there to cook. And little, little did I know years later, my children told me when they would come home on Wednesdays, they would peek in the kitchen. And if there was no food there, they were just like high-fiving. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm at work feeling guilty because I didn't have time to make a meatloaf. And they're just like, Aurelio's going to be ringing a bell, you know. Johnny, that's something your mom would do. Honestly, she definitely has done that. Not Aurelio's. I don't know where Aurelio's Who's is. On the way? With who, yeah, the guy's name is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I just that's had a house account amazing. and I would just pay it, go by there and pay it. And so... You do what you have to do and 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 don't let anybody else's motherhood style or journey be your pattern. It's important if your children know that they're loved and they know, hey, mom has to go to work. This is real life. And um, also, you know what? Mom has a purpose. Mom has a passion and she has something she wants to contribute to the world. And that's what she's doing. And she'll be back. Yeah, so okay. even beyond mom has to get that scratch, you know, got to get that money. Even beyond <laughs> that, mom, right. you know, mom has mom has something she's going to go do. And so, yeah, my kids have gone with me for trainings and teaching, sat in the back with coloring books while I'm up training leaders. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So you just bring them when you can. I love it. And so with that, like I would consider your 
motherhood journey and what you've done thus far as successful. And something in your bio on your website says that you're helping leaders redefine what success means. Yeah. And specialize in helping them understand success. So what does success mean to you? And how has that kind of been redefined in your own life over the last 59 years? Yeah. Black doesn't crack, by the way. You look great. Well, thank you so much. I'm ex- I'm so excited about being 60. I'm I'm telling you, I'm going to have such a great decade. Uh, <laughs> that sixth decade, it's going to be, a, or seventh decade, it's going to be amazing. Well, I, this is how I've redefined success. Success is becoming God's original thought of you. So many times, depending on where you are around the world, Success for a lot of times for women, they'll say success is getting married or having children for men. It's about cars, money, houses, you know, all of those things. Um, we define it by what's in our bank account. But really, it's about your identity. It's about you connecting with your creator and understanding who he created you to be and going on a discovery where I'm walking with him, I'm exploring my gifts, I'm working those things out, I'm serving my gifts. And so you become a success when you accept your identity. This is who I am in God. And and recognizing it's not a decision, it's a discovery. So as I'm walk, it's a decision that was already made. So you don't decide who you are. That was already decided. What you do is you get to discover that you're way more amazing than you ever dreamt. So yeah, that's what that's my definition of success. I, I love, love that. that. Yeah. I love that. I wrote that. I wrote that down. Okay. <laughs> so that's saying I was typing it. Yeah. yeah anytime you see both of us God's looking down. Original thought of you. Like what was what was his original thought? What was he thinking? Mm-hmm. And so I guess my next question for that, based off of that, is like, when did you know that I'm living in his original thought? What at wow. what point was that? Such a good question. Probably, probably we were hosting, this was a youth conference I was helping to organize and host. And in the course of this youth conference, it's something that we would do every year. And this particular year, we decided to host a leadership conversation with pastors because the youth pastors would come and bring their kids. And while the kids are in all their sessions, the youth pastors are just drinking coffee, hanging out, right? So they decided to host an opportunity for them. And I was asked to teach on mentoring. And I'm I'm telling you, I don't even know how good I did. (laughs) I don't know if I did well at all. They seem to love it. So I did this whole thing on mentoring, understanding people, blah, 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 all that stuff. And when it was over, the pastors were really blessed. They gave me great feedback. And I went and called my friend, Linda, my very best friend, Linda. We've been friends for over 30 years. And I said, Linda, this is who I am. Wow. Wow. She's like, I said, this is who I am. I call those moments a 10-10 moment hmm. where like you step into a, a moment where there's such ease and you're doing what you never thought you'd be able to do but you're doing it. And then when you step out of that moment, you look like, how the heck? Y'all know as athletes, like being in the zone. Yeah. You're just like, it's muscle memory, but it's also training. It's hard to even articulate. You come out of that thing and someone's saying, man, how'd you have such a great game? And you're like, hey, it just all came together for me today. (laughs) 
Right. Right. Like everything was falling my way. My training collided with this opportunity where the ball came at me in the exact way that I have been working on it. Like that is what that day felt like with those leaders. And I knew like I'm I'm to help people lead better. That I just is so cool, I, I just knew it. And I said to her, I said, I never need to, I never need to teach nothing else again. I'm done. I've, I have fulfilled my purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome, Pam. That's awesome. I know, like, I think I speak for Johnny and I, when you can find a career that meshes what you're good at yes. and what you love yes. and, meet, and meet those in the middle, it's game over. It's so, game over. And, and if it yeah. solves a problem for someone, Oof. it's game over and you making money. Amen. <laughs> That's great. And then that's like, wait a minute. You yeah. mean I can do this and I don't also have to uh, work the drive through at Wendy's at night? You know what I mean? Like I can do it and I can live off of it. So, yeah, it's a it's a dream. It's a dream. Well, Pam, this is probably the thing that Z and I are both most excited to ask you. Um, we ask all of our guests the same question at the end of every episode. Um, and we're, we already got our notepads out because this is going to be good. Um, right. Our question is. What is one piece of advice that you'd give all to all the winning women listening? Wow. I would say understand you are so much more than your performance. Never lose track of the fact your worth, your performance may go up and down, but your worth never changes. Mm. You are your value, your worth never changes. You, you are worth the King of heaven, you know? And so, so often I think as women, as winners, as performers, as people who get up and make something happen, we judge our value based on how well I did today. And it's nothing wrong with debriefing and looking at how I did and how I can do it better. And, and what adjustments need to be made. I'm a coach who has a coach. But at the same time, I've wrestled with this thing so much. Because if you're made for people, your desire is to try to get people to love you. And the Lord had to just break that. Like, that's not your job. Your job is to love them. And so never, ever confuse your performance and your identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. So good. That's, That's so good. great. Yeah, that translates so well to so many things, not just what you do, not just what we do, but yeah. lots of different aspects. And so I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Pam, mm-hmm. this has been just the biggest blessing. And, um, you know, Z and I, we don't have people of faith on all the time. It's it kind of just, it, it goes in waves. And, but when we do, we just feel so encouraged and um, blessed that, you know, we can maybe people who aren't believers listen to you and your story and, yeah, you know, question their own beliefs. So um, thank you. And we are so grateful that you were able to squeeze us in before we eat some turkey tomorrow. <laughs> All right. It's been my absolute pleasure, ladies. I'm honored. Truly, I'm honored to have had this conversation with you. Thanks, Pam. Thank you we so much, Pam. It. Have a good one, Pam. Have a good Thanksgiving. Thanks.